square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. This is the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Dog talk at its finest. Your host, Steve Fielder, here. One more week has gone by, and time once again to visit with all my friends out across the coon hunting world. And I do say world because of this internet, we are reaching people all over the globe. Once again, I find myself this week um, doing a tribute episode. Uh, Last week, we uh, did a tribute to Bill Wickham, a longtime friend of mine. And unfortunately, this week, I've heard the news of the passing of a true icon of our sport. This guy uh, stood head and shoulders, literally, and uh, figuratively, above most of the coon hunters across the country. Uh, The gentleman I'm, I'm speaking of is Mr. Winston Aaron of Pontotoc, Mississippi, who recently passed at the age of 90. Mr. Aaron uh, consented to sit for an interview with me five years ago, and I published that interview in American Cooner Magazine in the form of an article that I simply called Schooner River Treeing Walkers. It was published in the America's Choice section of American Cooner that I was writing at the time. What I'm going to do this week is uh, actually refer to that article and share that with you. But no tribute episode would be uh, complete for me personally without remembering the man that made it possible for me to have a career in coon hounds and be involved as I am. This episode is airing on January 29th, and that's the birthday of my dad, Holman Fielder. He was born in 1920 in Dixon County, Tennessee. And dad, I still miss you every single day. I wanted to do the tribute to Wimp Aaron because so many people knew him and appreciated him and recognized his tremendous contributions to our sport. And so, without further ado, let's get into our tribute to Winston Aaron. The Schooner River springs up in north-central Mississippi, about four miles west of the city of Pontotoc in Pontotoc County and flows in a southwesterly direction through Chickasaw and Calhoun counties, past the sawmill town of Bruce, population 1939. Bruce is intersected by Mississippi Highways 9 and 52, excuse me, 9 and 32. Winston Wimp Aaron was born on the family farm outside Pontotoc, west of the Schooner River. His Schooner River Tree and Walker Kennel is well known among the nation's coonhound community and is noted for the continuous line of hounds, now 15 females long, that he has personally bred. 
I recently caught up with Wimp Aaron at the UKC Winter Classic in nearby Batesville, and he agreed to sit for a phone interview we accomplished shortly before the lead line for American Cooner. And that interview is the essence of our visit this month. When Winston and I talked, the octogenarian coon hunter was down to hunting about two nights a week, he said. Mr. Aaron will be 86 years old in July, keeping in mind here that he was 90 when he recently passed. Our season goes out the 1st of March, and I don't have anything young to play with this spring, he told me. I raised a litter of pups out of Schooner River Queen 14 and the big-time moonshine dog that won PKC Pup of the Year in 2012, but they're still in the pup house. It hasn't been a good winter for hunting. I try to hunt until it's down to 20 degrees, but there's a lot of water. I have some hill country to hunt, but water has been the problem everywhere. I hunt the Mississippi Delta country in the Delta National Forest, about 200 miles from here, mostly in the winter, he said. I asked Mr. Aaron if he still hunts alone some, and he said, yes, about two nights a week. I have three grandsons, and they'll go with me once in a while. They have families and always have some things to do. Most people today have a way to make a living that doesn't require hard work. That's hurt coon hunting a lot. Coon hunting is hard work. I asked him about his local coon club and how it's doing. We started out here and we were having a pretty good little crowd, but it's dropped off one at a time. The older hunters don't want a competition hunt, but the younger hunters are following the UKC and PKC hunts some. At every hunt, it seems there's one or two that have other things to do. And a lot of younger hunters don't have places to hunt. I used to know numbers of people that had dogs, and now very few do, he said. Wimp Aaron was born in 1933. His dad farmed and was a carpenter by trade. Wimp was a game warden, but has been retired for 30 years. Now I eat, sleep, and coon hunt, he said with a grin. When I hunt the Schooner River, I drive about 8 to 10 miles, and in winter I hunt the public land of the Chickasaw National Forest. I started out with just dogs, Mr. Aaron began as I asked him about the early beginnings of the sport for him. We killed a few rabbits, a few squirrels, and caught a possum or two. He continued, I had my first dog that would tree a coon when I was 14. He was a spotted dog, and I guess that's how I became attracted to the walkers. I caught four coons with him that winter by himself, and a man drove 12 to 15 miles in a wagon to breed to him because he had treed those four coons. I still have the right hind feet of those coons. You could say I have four 1947 model coon feet, he said with a laugh. Everyone had hounds down here, but there were very few coons. We would hunt a week in order to tree a coon. 
everyone had spotted dogs back then. So many of them were just picked up spotted dogs that were single registered, he said, describing the start of registered hounds in his area. We had no luck with the dogs we bought from breeders at that time, he said. Most breeders at that time were north of here. Most of the dogs that came from them were single registered and weren't suitable for our country. It was Cecil Wilson, who lived in Fulton, Mississippi, over by the Alabama line, that introduced the registered walkers. Cecil was responsible for single registering several dogs. The first dog I had was born in 1947, and I registered her in 1953. Cecil registered her for me. Her name was Lottie, and I bred her to a dog named Luke that Cecil had. He was one of the few registered dogs around that would treat coons. I kept a female out of her that I named Ann. In 1960 and 1961, I bought a female out of 1960 ACHA world champion Deep River Mike that I named Schooner River Gal and a female out of 1961 ACHA world champion Stan Sailor Boy that I named Schooner River Queen One. Ann, Gal, and Queen One were the three females that I started with, and Queen One was the better of the three. Each of the females were predominantly white with black spots. Queen I had, uh, excuse me, Queen One had a lemon-colored head and two or three spots. At that time in this area, if you had a saddleback or blanketback dog, they thought it was a black and tan mixed in. They wanted spotted dogs. If you go back far enough, you'll find that popular lines of walkers like the Sackett and Wipeout dogs go back to those females several times. Wipeout Zach's mother, Zach was commonly called Moose, was a female I raised. Wipeout Candy that Mark Sumrall raised is another. Most of the dogs that people have put a lot of time into up and down the Alabama-Mississippi line have that in them, he said. Winston bred the Ann female to Crawford's boss, a single-registered dog of unknown ancestry. Boss was one of the nicest hounds I had bred to, Winston said. He was supposed to have some fox dog in him. I bred Ann twice to him and once to House's chief. Ann was a female that wasn't a natural. She had to be trained. Females out of her are in my pedigrees. He bred the Schooner River gal female to Crawford's boss as well. I used a female out of them called Schooner River Bell. Bell had a pup that won second place in the ACHA World Hunt, he remembers. Queen One was a white female with lemon and black spots. By Mr. Aaron's description, she had a pointed muzzle and was not that great to look at. She was one of the three females that I started with that I used the most, he said. I bred her to House's Chief to Sanders Frosty that was out of Hershberger's Oklahoma spot and Kansas Babe, and I bred her to Fendi River Buck 
out in Kansas. Buck was a grand pup out of Finley River Chief and a single registered female named Belle. Herb Karstein had him. He was the sire of 1973 ACHA world champion Bean Blossom Buck. I got Queen too out of the Finley River Buck Cross, he said. Queen too was colored fair but had more red than black and was rough-haired. She was a real nice little female, but the sorriest-looking queen in the bunch, he said. She had good manners, but was soft-mouthed on the tree. I was looking for volume. I hunted with Johnson's banjo at West Point, Mississippi, and I thought he was awful loud. There was a pup off of him named Boone Creek Mike. Mike Dahoney bred his Golden Star female to Mike and got Dahoney's Cadillac. Golden Star went back to Smith's old dock. I bred Queen Two to a littermate to Cadillac named Dahoney's Jeff. Winston's Queen Three female came from the cross of Queen Two to Dahoney's Jeff. She was a nice looking Jeff, tan on both ends and black backed. Most of the Dahoney dogs were pretty dogs, he avowed. Queen Three lived to be five years old a combination of heartworms, and the vets at Mississippi State killed her. She was one of the nicer queens I ever had, with a real carrying mouth and was loud when she came on the bush. She was a nice little hound and pretty much came that way, he remembered. Winston bred Queen Three to Mac McAllister's Finley River Banjo to produce his Queen Four female. Queen Four was a real good-looking female with a good ball mouth, something I thought was that Finley River banjo put some jumping at the tree into the pups. Queen Four wanted to do that some. I had her front toenails removed, and that stopped it. I bought a younger brother to Finley River banjo that was a bad tree jumper. Wanting to jump the tree a little was Queen Four's worst fault. I bred her to Schooner River Handsome, a family-bred dog, and kept a male I called Schooner River Favorite. I sold him to Richard Owen, and he changed his name to Silver Dollar Favorite. He was an extremely nice young hound, he said. Schooner River Queen Five was produced by a half-brother, half-sister cross. She was sired by Schooner River or Silver Dollar favorite. Her mother, Queen Four, was out of Queen Three and Finley River Banjo. Queen Five, Sire and Dam were both out of Queen Three. Queen Five was a decent-looking dog with a big chuckle head, Mr. Aaron said. She was also probably the sorriest of all the Queen females. She was selfish. She didn't want to pack. She wanted to do her own thing. I kept her to raise pups. I pleasure hunt, and I like a dog that will pack. But she was all right to hunt with pups and was probably the best reproducer of all the queen female. She produced the Homer's Gomer dog. I bred her the first time to House's Lipper and got my queen six female. I bred her to Tree Talking Crockett 
and got the Schooner River Rocket and Schooner River Locket pair of dogs. I kept Locket and I let Richard Owen have Rocket. Locket is in the PKC Hall of Fame. Queen Five was bred to Schooner River Lipper four times, and she was bred to 1984 UKC World Champion Hillbilly Mac. Homer's Gomer came from the Schooner River Lipper and Queen Five cross. The Hillbilly Mac cross produced Tree Talking Jake, Tree Talking Belle, and a female I had called Schooner River Millie. Millie was a really nice female, one of the nicest I ever owned, and she placed second in the ACHA World Hunt. Queen Five was bred to House's Lipper when Matt McAllister owned him and the cross-produced Schooner River Queen Six. I asked Mr. Aaron about hunting with House's Lipper, and he said he hunted with the famous hound several times. Mac would come down here to hunt or I'd go up there, he said, using a phrase that I hadn't heard before in reference to training a coon dog. Mr. Aaron said of Queen Five, she was a dog that made you earn it, meaning that she wasn't a natural but required some work to finish into a dog he could be proud of. I believe that many dogs today are dogs that make us earn it. The wisdom of Mr. Aaron has helped so many hunters down through the years, and one only has to spend a few minutes with him to feel that this is a man that has lived the sport and is honest to a fault in his description of his dogs and their abilities. I learned that Queen Six had a big mouth and would run a coon to death. She was a good tree dog, in his words. She had to have a little age on her and be hunted a lot to be solid. She was hunted a lot around bean fields but could handle a coon anywhere. She was a good hound when I got her trained, if not a natural, as we would want one. In the early days, she was a little slow in the bush, but later on, she did all right. Queen Six was bred to Schooner River Lipper, which was another half-brother, half-sister cross, from that cross, I probably got as nice a litter of pups as I ever raced, he said. Queen Seven was out of that cross, and the fat lady female was out of that litter. She appears in the pedigrees of the wipeout dogs. Pups out of that cross had big mouths. Some of them were a little bit trashy, and you had to break some of them. But they were all pretty much natural, and they were all good-looking dogs, he said. Winston bred Queen Six one time, and she died from heat stroke at six years of age. Queen Seven was a nice-looking female, was blanket-backed with a lot of color. She had a good mouth, and in Winston's word, came here wanting to do something. She really started pretty good when she was young. She was a little bit trashy, but was unnatural. She really made a nice hound. I bred her to the little rocket dog out of the tree-talking Crockett and Queen Five cross. In fact, I bred her twice to rocket. The cross produced Queen Eight. Queen Eight was probably one of the better dogs I ever fed, said Mr. Aaron in describing the daughter of Queen Seven 
and Schooner River rocket. She was a natural. She ran no trash and could three coons, cold coons. I could hunt pups with her when she was a year old. When she barked up a tree, she would be right there. She was a pretty female, red on both ends and black in the middle. I love the way Mr. Heron described dogs that way. She bawled and chopped on track. She would chop on a pickup or a running track and had a good change. She was a good tree dog, he said. Winston bred Queen 8 to Schooner River Lipper twice, and from the first litter came his stud dog, Schooner River Bark. He was the only pup that lived out of that first litter, Winston said. Parvo hit them, and he was the only one that lived. The Queen 9 female came out of the other litter, she was a full sister to Bark, but not a litter mate, he said. She was a little bigger than most of the queen females. She was a good, colored, nice female, he continued. She came here tree and coons. Her fault was that she couldn't stand another dog pushing her on the tree. She was all right with good-natured dogs, but wouldn't let anything push her. A young friend of mine hunted her by herself. She was tan-headed and blanket-backed, said Winston, describing his dog. I bred her to a Sackett-bred dog that was out of Sackett Jr. and a wager stylish slipper female. I was told that Schooner River Lipper and stylish slipper were the two best reproducers out of House's Lipper. That's why I wanted to breed to him. Queen 10 came from the cross of Queen 9 to the second red stud. She was a little bigger than most of them, had tan on both ends, black in the middle, and was a little houndier looking. She was a real nice female, except on a bad track, and she'd come up short. I didn't hunt her a lot because I don't want one to pull up short. She probably won more in the UKC and PKC than anything I had, but I really didn't like her. Winston told me. She had 70 pups and was probably the sorriest root producer of all the females I had. She had a bunch of pups that were tree coon, but there were as many of them around that I didn't like as those that I did like. Now, folks, when's the last time you heard a breeder describe a dog that he owned that way? Doesn't that give you a, a real good idea of the kind of uh, person and the kind of character Mr. Aaron was and 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 was that way all his life. He continued, I bred Queen Tan to Schooner River Bark three times. There were some of the pups out of Bark and Queen Tan that I liked, and one of them was Queen Eleven. She was a blanket bat, medium-sized, tan-headed, cold-nosed, hard-going little female, he said. She was a good tree dog, and I loved to leave them on an empty and be out of there under a coon, he continued. Of course, he's describing being on a competition hunt when the other dogs treed slick and, and his dog was out there under a coon. Early on, she was a little selfish, but later on, she packed better. She didn't mind doing it by herself, and she was also a good reproducer. 
I think it's interesting here how Mr. Aaron now a couple times has described a dog that wanted to be alone as being selfish. Queen Eleven was bred to a double Schooner River lipper bred dog named Schooner River Rudy. He was out of Schooner River Lipper and a female named Belle. Belle was out of a mate to PKC National Champion Pick Pack Pickles and a Schooner River Lipper female. Several females were bred to Ruby, said Winston, and he was a good reproducer. He belonged to the Rogers boys in Missouri. They've had bark dogs forever. Queen 12 came out of Rudy and Queen 11. By Mr. Aaron's description, Queen 12 was a black-headed female, the only one colored that way in the long line of queen females. She had tan around her face and around the rear end, he said. She's still living at 12 years of age. Now, that was five years ago, and I'm sure she's passed by now. She's raised 40 pups out of Schooner River Repeat. Repeat is Schooner River bred on both sides and is a brother to Lockbox and several other dogs that are around, said Aaron. Queen 12 was a smart hound, easily trained, not trashy, but she lacked just an ounce of desire when she was young. What she did right was always and, uh, and was a good tree dog. Uh, what, he, what I should have said there is that, you know, what she did right, she did right, and she was a good tree dog. She was no trouble and handled good. Sometimes you'd have to tell her to get it in there, he said. She was a good brood female. You know, Mr. Aaron's honesty was just amazing. Um, when you sit in the presence of a man like that and you think about how many times have you sat and talked to somebody about their dogs and it was all I, I, me, me. Uh, I used to laughingly say the dog would walk on water and talk on TV. That was not Mr. Aaron. He was straight up the truth every time. Let's continue. Schooner River Repeat was out of Hub's Homer the sire of the popular backwater bone collector. On Repeat's mother's side, he had across the Schooner River Lipper and Schooner River Locket, Winston said. There was also a cross of Queen Six and Tree Talking Crockett. Jarvis Humphers had Hubs Homer, and when Homer was old, he let Keith Medley have him, and he bred him. Homer may become the all-time top reproducer. He was an ugly hound, but I never saw a pup out of him that was ugly as he was. <laughs> there again, folks, that honesty. Queen 12 was bred to Schooner River Repeat to produce Queen 13. Queen 13 was run over when she was about five and a half years old, Winston said. She was a good female with a lot of mouth and want to. She was one of the first I had that was kind of a professional at striking out the back of the truck. My legs were worn out, and she was the first I used that way, and she was really good at it, he said. 
She was a nice-looking female, blanket-backed and tan on both ends. There were nine pups in her litter, and they were all good. Several of them were titled, he said. This day and time, it's hard for all of them to have a chance, he lamented. I started several of them to see what they were like. I bred Queen 13 to Schooner River Gunner. He was out of Schooner River Bark and a jip named Schooner River Bell. It went back to the Schooner River dogs with a shot of rat attack. The cross of Queen 13 to Schooner River Gunner produced Queen 14. Queen 14 is five years old at the time of this writing. Now, folks, again, that was about five years ago. Mr. Aaron has 11 pups, or he had at that time, out of her in big-time moonshine, owned by Mike Tall and Rick Soffin in Missouri. He was sired by Backwater Zed and out of Queen 6. He won the PKC Pup Race in 2012. In Mr. Aaron's words, Queen 14 is colored about like you would draw one, he continued. She's a good, medium-sized female that strikes from the back of the truck. It's unbelievable how far she can strike from the truck. Just for me, she is as nice as I've had. Now, Mr. Aaron's goal was to produce 15 of the queen females and says this may be the last of the line. Queen 15 is out of the first litter of big-time moonshine and queen 14. He's raised three litters from that cross. Queen 15 is now two years old. Now, I'm not sure if she's still living or not, but if she were, it would make her about seven years old now. Mr. Aaron describes her this way. Queen 15 is pretty much a natural. She has an odd mouth. She screams and hollers. I like it because with my hearing, she really makes a lot of noise. She goes on the tree with a loud, screaming mouth. She's never run any trash, and right now she's my better dog until Queen 14 gets over the puppies. Queen 15 hasn't been bred, and I don't know that I'll breed her. 15 was sort of my goal. I might find something down the road that I'll want to breed to. I may want to do a partial outcross. The most I went outside this bloodline was when I got Queen 10. A lot of folks liked her. I didn't especially. I thought the outcross hurt her reproducing, he said. When questioned about how long he plans to continue along the Schooner River path of breeding better treat treeing walker dogs. Mr. Walker, <laughs> when questioned about how long he plans to continue along the Schooner River path of breeding better treeing walker dogs, Mr. Aaron said, I'd like to have another dog when I think about it, but really, I have all I need. I'll be lucky if I wear these out. With all the talk about his females, I wanted to know about the stud dogs he's had over the years. 
I really only had two stud dogs, Schooner River Lipper and Schooner River Bark, he said. Schooner River Bark had around 1,400 pups, and Lipper had about half that many. On Lipper's mother, night champion Incredible Dixie's side, he continued, he had the first three gyps that I had and a shot of Boone Creek Mike. Schooner River Lipper had an incredible amount of want to. He would not quit. He was gritty and had no backup. His fault was that he stood on the tree and he would tie up if something tried to push him off the tree. He was good-natured with good-natured dogs. He had lots of go. He really put the tree in his pups. They'd be doing something by nine months old. I bred Queen Five to Houses Lipper and to Schooner River Lipper. The Schooner River Lipper pups came here doing it. The Houses Lipper pups, you had to kind of earn it with them. Mr. Aaron raised Schooner River Bark, and he also raised Silver Dollar Favorite. Sired by Schooner River Lipper and out of Queen Eight, Schooner River Bark produced 1,400 pups. He was the best male hound I ever turned loose, he said. He was a 52-pound hound with a big mouth that could really run a coon. He was a nice tree dog and had no trouble anywhere, just like his mother. He was one of the best disciplined hounds, and he did pretty good in the stud pen. I asked Mr. Aaron if he could name an all-time favorite hound, and he said that he couldn't. He did say that Queen 14 female suits him really well. She hunts from the truck, is a winding tree dog, and mines well. He said when she trees too far away, he just tones her and here she comes. At my age, hunting these Florida swamps, I can relate to the benefits of the tone button when trying to recover a hound that's gone into a challenging place. Mr. Aaron did say he liked Bark, Bark's mother, Queen 8, Queen 7, Queen 3, Queen 1, and Queen 8. I lost Queen 8 as a 3-year-old, he said. As for hunting at age 85, Mr. Aaron admitted that his legs weren't what they used to be. And for his shooting, he says, it takes a while. I put a laser light on the rifle and that helps, but sometimes the laser won't stay still. As I think of Mr. Aaron, who's now passed, very sad for me because I enjoyed talking to him so much. I think about him still actively hunting at 85 years old and even was up until the age of 90, I believe, was still going to the woods with the dogs. And I think about these things about how shooting becomes a challenge and, and all the other things that he talked about, but, man, he was tough. Mr. Winston Wimp Aaron is or should be an inspiration to all that aspire to continue hunting after the years have taken their toll. His determination to breed the same line of dogs reaching outside the line when necessary 
has made the sport of coon hunting more enjoyable for more than one generation of coon hunters. As I wrote this article, I said, I'm hoping he'll be around hunting and breeding the Schooner River train walkers for many years to come. And that turned out to be five years. I closed with this. He is a true Southern gentleman with whom I immensely enjoyed spending time. I'm sure anyone that met Wimp Aaron, former game warden, <laughs> knew that they'd been in the presence of a great man, a good man, a man that enjoyed life and enjoyed being around people. He made an indelible mark on our sport with his Schooner River dogs. And he made a lasting impression on all that met him. Rest in peace, Wimp. We'll see you on the other side. Well, folks, I took the opportunity to contact a couple of people here tonight to continue our tribute to Mr. Wimp Aaron. And uh, these guys probably know Wimp as well as anybody, maybe better than most. And uh, they have just returned from Mr. Aaron's funeral that was held today. And uh, I know it's an emotional time for them as for anybody who knew Mr. Aaron. And, uh, and we'll just call him Wimp as we go forward because I know that's what he'd want us to call him. But... Uh, I wanted to bring to the microphone uh, a longtime friend of mine from Laurel, Mississippi, Mark Sumrall. How are you, Mark? Good, Steve. I'm How are doing you? good. It's good to see your face again. I haven't talked to you face-to-face -face in quite a while, but I know we've known each other for a long time. I know when I went to PKC, you were one of the people that I talked to quite a bit. Do you remember when we met? Oh, I know it's been... 20 plus yeah. years. Yeah, it's been a while. And the other gentleman is Ricky Campbell from Tupelo, Mississippi. How are you, Ricky? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing very well, very well. And uh, I'm just uh, very grateful that you fellows took the time on this this uh, special and I'm sure difficult day uh, to talk to us, our listeners, about Mr. Aaron. Uh just by way of a little background here, Mark, uh, how long have you been following these old hounds around? Oh, since I, I've been hunting since I was about 12. I'm 55 now. Uh, started hunting with Mr. Wimp about 1985, I think. Wow. When I first met him, started coming hunting with him. Yeah, 83 was the year I went to work for UKC full-time, so I'm thinking back, that's quite a long time. Yeah. So did you uh, grow up hunting uh, at home, or did was your first experience hunting with uh, Wimp? Oh, I, I grew up hunting with a neighbor. Mm -hmm. Got me started hunting and just went from there when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, started hunting. Uh -huh. Gotcha. 
Well, Laurel, Mississippi is a pretty famous town if you follow cable TV and so forth. We were talking earlier about, what is that called, Our Town or uh, the show? Hometown. Hometown. Laurel, Mississippi, Ben and Aaron, those of you listeners out there that are like my wife. Made us famous. Pardon? Made us famous. Made you famous, that's right. They've remodeled the whole town of Laurel, haven't they? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great show. I enjoy it. Well, you brought along your buddy Ricky Campbell here from Tupelo. There's a there's a familiar name for all you Elvis Presley fans out there. Ricky, how long have you been following hounds? Oh, well, I, I don't remember much of my life where I, we didn't have hounds at my house, but uh, coon hunting, uh, I was like Mark. I probably started coon hunting about 12 years old. Uh, Mr. Wimp was our game warden here in Pontotoc County. I live in Pontotoc County, even though I've got a Tupelo address. So mm-hmm. uh, he he hunted with a lot of the free, the older guys that lived around our community. That's kind of how I got started. And uh, I see. Just my granddad was a coon hunter. Uh, he, was, your granddad was. Oh, yes, sir. Cool. He, uh, yeah. Leroy Campbell was his name. He he won the first ACHA. Oh one. man, I remember that name. That's yeah. a, that's a historic name for sure. So yeah. he knew Mister Wimp, and they kind of tied me together there with Mister Wimp too. So yeah, well, I'm. It was Mark. I think more than anything that that you know spoke so often about uh, Wimp, and uh, you know, Mister Aaron was. 90 years old, I believe, when he passed. Is that right? Yes. And when I interviewed him for the magazine article, he was 85. And, uh, man, I tell you, I'm getting there. I'm 77. So, Mark, I'm, I'm uh, what, 22 years older than you are, brother. How old are you, Ricky? I'm 60. 60. Just a pup. <laughs> Just a pup. Well, you know, in this tribute to Mr. Aaron, I've talked about his dogs and and uh, all the the queens that he had down through the years. Do either of you know how he came? Was it just based that he liked that queen one the best out of? He told me there were three dogs there, and he liked queen the best. Was that just the reason he stuck with the queen name? Do, do either of you know that? Do you, Mark? Had to be. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it was. That's, yeah, yeah. That's what got it started. Yeah. And yeah, I you, thought she was his favorite. He had, he had another one, I think, named Gal too, didn't you, Mark? Gal was about. Six. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. And I think I think the Queen Jip showed him more of what he was looking for in a Walker dog, the tree of coons. Yeah. That's what he had told yeah. me. Well, he told me in the article about you know the Walker dogs that came down. First of all, they weren't you know really what what people were looking for and uh and he you know that i don't think they were too pleased with them to to start with but uh you know he he said if you had a tricolor i mean a blanket back dog back in the day people thought it had black and tan mixed into it so they preferred a spotted dog more back in those days Did he ever tell you boys that i've heard that yeah, yeah. uh-huh well, he was such an interesting guy to talk to. Uh, I want to ask each of you how uh, you met. Mark, I'll go first with you. How did you meet uh, Wimp Aaron? 
No, I was hunting a male dog, hunting a strong river bark dog for Mr. Buddy Jones. And Wimp was going to breed one of his females to him. And I had him at my house. So I drove and met him at Buddy Jones's house to, to breed that female. It's the first time I met him. I see. I think I was about a senior in high school and drove up there in the middle of the summer and wasn't supposed to be killing coons and <laughs> had coons in the back of the truck and pulled up there and there was the game. <laughs> scared me to death. Oh, I bet you. Sweating bullets. <laughs> you know, there's been a few coon hunting game wardens around, you know, and that Burt McAfee that used to be with the ACHA organization all night, he worked for the game department somehow. Did either one of you know him? I, I didn't. Now, I bet your dad did, Ricky. Probably uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I think of others. There's uh, Randy Rhodes, I believe it is, over at around Arkansas. Arkansas there. He's a coon hunter. Right. And, uh, boy, I tell you, we had one named Dan Farley back in West Virginia. Now, he wasn't a coon hunter, but he'd beat you to the tree. A lot of times you'd be at the tree shining, looking around, and he'd say, Do you see them yet, boys? <laughs> like, Where'd that come from? He'd be standing over there in the dark somewhere. He's, he got to the dogs before we did. Oh, my. Well, okay, so did you go hunting with uh, with Mr. Wimp that night, Mark? Or, or I did not that night, but he invited me up, and soon after I went to his house and been going ever I since. Then. I knew that you were very close with to him, and and you've been good to send me messages and stuff. And, you know, you you said something in a message that, that you sent to me uh, that really kind of, it, it touched me, and I'm not going to try to quote it for uh, verbatim. Verbatim, I got my tooth wrapped around, my, or my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth there, I think. But anyway, you said that, Wimp had read virtually everything that I'd written in the magazine. And I took that as a very, very high compliment. I, you, you really made my day with that one. And, uh, but we had that such a nice talk when I was doing the article and when I uh, talked to him for quite a long time at Batesville, uh, the last time I saw him. And... Uh, but, okay, Ricky, what's your first experience with, with Wimp? My mom and dad was going to find me a dog that would treat. We had running dogs. We had beagles here that we rabbit hunting mm -hmm. with, and, and they wanted I wanted something that would treat, you know. And uh, yeah. well, my dad, he knew Mr. Wimp, so he contacted Mr. Wimp. And I remember I was 12 years old, and I seen the truck pull up my driveway, and uh, he got a little walker dog out of the back, a little female. And that was my start with Schooner River Walker dogs at 12 years old. And from then, it was just every opportunity. Wow. I had a chance to get to go hunting with Mr. Wimp. I took it. And uh, Oh, yeah. That was been 1975. So Now, was yeah. he already well-known in the Coonhound world at that time, or was he more locally owned, do you think? <laughs> well, I know, no. you know. I didn't know really about the bigger scope of the coon hunting world at that time, being 12 years old, but I remember everybody around here, if they had a coon or coon dog issue or a question, it went to Mr. Wimp. It always yeah. reverted back to Mr. Wimp and his dogs. He so, was the authority. He was the authority. Well, it wasn't until I went 
to PKC in about 1998 that I really began to hear about WIMP and about the Schooner River Dogs. Uh, I'd been with UKC all the way back to 1978 when I became a field rep and living in Michigan all those years and all, I, I just really didn't know too many besides the, the people that put on the hunts for us down there in that part of the world. But I didn't know these people, you know, and I would hear guys like Eddie Simmons talk about him and, uh, you know, and, and different ones, Roger Dale, of course, and all, all uh, the people in that general area just had this very, very deep reverence for Wimp Aaron. And uh, I looked forward to the time that I could sit down, you know, and really talk with him, and I sure wasn't disappointed when I did. But uh, so that was – you kind of got your start then, Ricky, with uh, – in coon hunting with yes. one of Mr. Wimp's dogs. Yes, sir. And that's, that's all, awesome. as far as coon dogs, that's, that's all I've ever owned here was Schooner River Dog. Mm -hmm. I remember other guys from down that part of the country, and I don't hear too much from him now. No. Benny Taylor still hunting? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Does he hunt Schooner River Dogs? I think he's got, uh, what, he does, don't he, Mark? Don't Benny have? I know some of them have had some some of it in them. Yeah, I, I know. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know where to go exactly with this. Uh, you know, I, I feel such a reverence for this day because uh, it means so much, I'm sure. Let me ask you this about what family did Mr. Aaron have What is that, that he left behind? He, it, it, was his wife living or... Uh, no, Miss Shelba died a few years back, uh, and his son died a couple of years ago, Gary. And oh. he had a daughter, uh, Kathy, is still alive. And he had three grandsons, uh, a granddaughter, ain't that right? I can get confused. I think that's right, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want to get you boys in trouble with the family here, but, uh, but uh, well, uh, he was just such a soft-spoken gentleman. He, from my view, he never tried to play that role of being an authority on coon dogs, did he? No, sir. I don't know. I never noticed him to be that. He downplayed it more than anything. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I got from my conversations with him too. Uh, he just, uh, he knew that he knew, and you knew that he knew when you talked to him. But so he didn't have to, you know, play the big ego or anything like that. Well, what was it like to go hunting with Wimp? I saw a, a video. Maybe you, one of you guys posted it, I don't know, just the other day, showing him at a tree. And I think he was probably 90 years old already at that tree. Uh, yeah. And he was I, I recorded that. Who? Video. You did. I recorded it. I think he was. A, I think that was a couple of years ago. Maybe, okay. Or a year ago. Or well, so. I like the way he reached down and kind of petted the dog a little bit, you know, and all. What was it like to hunt with him? Either one of you. Oh, it was a sight to just watch him. You know, the the dogs always minded real well. He always his dogs always paid attention to him and. 
and he paid attention to the dogs, you know, and when he would get to a tree, it was more what the dogs was doing. Was they behaving right? Was they habits right? And before looking for the coon, it was more about his dogs. Yeah, I've seen him go to a mini a tree and never look up the tree. You know, he just, that really wasn't that important with a puppy, you know, especially. It wasn't, he, he worked on a dog. Anybody else want to look up the tree, that was fine. But with a pup, young dog, he, he's, he, I've seen him, the schooner dog we got now, I've seen him just place his feet on the tree in certain places and then not let him move left or right, make him stay make in him one just spot stay right there. for the whole time. Never let him take it. Yeah, he, he, he was constantly working on the dog. It, you know, you bring a lot of memories back to me by, by saying this and describing this. Earlier on in this podcast, I mentioned that it's going to air on January 29th, and that's my dad's birthday. Now, my dad was born in 1920, so he was a good bit older than than Wimp, but he was exactly that way. He did. Sometimes we'd go into a tree. He'd never look up the tree. He was always paying attention to the dogs, what the dogs were doing, you know, and and. uh, I'd say, Dad, you want to look at this coon? Oh, I know he's up there or something like that. He'd say, and I don't know if that's an old school thing or that was the way guys grew up, but you can tell, you know, I have a right here on my wall, there is a, a, a display box with a glass front on it. It's, it's walnut. My brother had it made for me. And inside that, box is my dad's old calling horn the horn that he used to use to call the dogs in back before any tracking collars or anything were even thought of and he had a brass plate put on that that said H.E. Fielder the houndsman and he gave me that for Christmas and I it's priceless I you know, it's got the, the raw kind of leather latigo strap that my dad made to put around it and all. But those fellas like Wimp and my dad and many more of them of that generation really were houndsmen. They had a lot of dog knowledge. Why do you think that was? Was it just that they took more time, you think? I think they. I think a lot of the older guys had more pride in what the dogs did, their ability. And Mister mm-hmm. Webb, he was constantly trying to build on the ability and the brains in a dog. His big thing was its brains. It's got to mm-hmm. be smart, you know. And that's that's one yeah. thing he really stressed over the years, especially the last ten or twelve years. And he's, you know, he said we've got to try to put a lot more brain in these dogs. And yeah. the smarter the dog is, the easier are they train all the way around. What do you think about that, Mark? Yeah, he, 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 I don't know, when he got to a tree, it's just so much about, he didn't put up with any bad tree habits. and It was all about making sure the dog is, you know, acting right. And yeah. He just, you know, it was a lot more about the dog, yeah. the individual yeah. dog. Well, I've said this before on my podcast that I used to have a lot of company come to hunt with me in Michigan. And when you get several guys coming, you know, and you're out there in the woods, everybody wants to be visiting and talking and all that stuff. And it's just ingrained in me. I always wanted to slip out there 
And I knew they thought I was, you know, being unsociable or whatever. But I'd try to slip out there away from the crowd if I could listen to the dogs. I've always just loved to listen to the hounds, you know. And and I kid a lot of these newer hunters today with their garments and all that they spend all their time in that little screen, you know, and they're not even hearing what the dogs are doing, you know. But right. what did uh, what did Mister Aaron think about all this technology that we've got now? Did he did he take to it or did he dislike it or what? Well, it, he fought that Garmin for a while. He, did. he didn't want that for a while, but then it, you know, then it, after he got one, he really depended on it and liked it. And could tell what the dogs were doing and if they was barking, and you know, he he liked it after a yeah. while. Uh, we, he worked a dog. He had a young dog. He was working just this past year. And, and I told my son, my son hunts with us too. I told him, I said, you watch when we get to the tree. And Mr. Went was in the truck and he was watching the dog on the handheld. I knew what he was doing. I said, if that dog's off the tree, it won't be off the tree, but just a minute, it'll be back on the tree. And we got there and sure enough, the dog just milled off just a little bit, but far enough from the tree that it showed it on the garment. And directly, you see the dog just run back to the tree. I never had to say anything to it. It went back to the tree and got back Wimp the sent him a message, didn't he? I, I, my son <laughs> said, Mr. Exactly. Wimp just sent that dog a text, didn't he? I did said, That's right. He sent a text message. Get back on that tree, brother. I see what you're doing. Oh, that's great. That's great. Do you either of you have a, a, a memory of hunting with him that kind of sticks out a little bit or maybe something funny or something he told you or something he did or anything? I see you smiling, Mark. You must have something. There's lots of stories. <laughs> you know, my, my favorite times was, you know, maybe not the hunting is, you know, after we come in from hunting. We might go to the huddle house or something, but you know, the, the talks afterwards just stand out to me that, you know, he talked a lot about, he didn't want these, this dogs to stop, you know, when something happened to him, especially later in life. He'd have a lot of talks, you know, about when he was gone. He didn't want it to end and, and the importance of keeping the young people hunting, you know, just, mm. just a lot of them talks meant a lot to me, you know. Yeah. Maybe more than the hunting stories and all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. what an opportunity you both have had to be able to, to use the expression, set at the feet of a master, really, a master coon hunter, a guy that was not only loved the sport, loved the dogs, but he was he was a planner. You know, he, uh, he uh, you know, was, all as you say, always looking to the future, how can I improve? How can I make things better? I'm sure he was proud of the Schooner River brand, though, wasn't he? Yes. You think so? Yes, yeah. very proud. Yeah. He had a lot of pride in it. Yeah. Well, and he deserved that, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. He sure did. Do you have a, a favorite memory or story or anything about him, Ricky? I've got so many that are funny. I mean, it's oh funny. yeah, well that's you know, that's what we're gonna... the the reality side of him. There, I'll tell a funny story. We we were hunting one time on the Big Black River, and and, and I had a dog that uh, occasionally he trip possum. And oh, yeah. uh, this this has been 15, 20 years ago, and it was a leopard dog, and, and he had treated a possum. He had made a layup, and 
one of Mr. Webb's, I think it was Queen, it was Queen Seven came by, the dog he called Seven. She wasn't even get close to it. But he when she came by, he swatted at her with a switch and told her to get out of there. Yeah. And and we were in Montgomery County. And uh, when, when we found her tree two hours later, that's when we had the old beep beep collars. We didn't have the garments. But she was in, she had done went all the way into Webster County. She left there. She got away from that possible in a hurry. So they, the dogs connected. Hey. We're here. Uh, we've lost Mark's picture. I lost you But we can hear you, Mark. Uh, the picture may you. come back. But uh, I lost you somehow. Though. We'll, uh, okay, let me get a time stamp on that. Okay, you're, you're coming back. Okay. He's back. <laughs> He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's got so, so on that hook. I touched the wrong button. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> just the fact that he switched swung a switch at her, put her in the next county. <laughs> yeah, put her in the next county. The dogs had that much respect for him, you know. Oh, they, yeah. They, she knew she shouldn't have been around the possum, so she left. He got all the way out of there. Changed counties on us. So that was kind of a funny thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we had some other people hunting with us. Said, whatever Mr. Wimp does, don't let him point his finger at that dog again. It's time to go home. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, I guess that'd be pretty handy the way these guys like these go yonder deep and lonely dogs nowadays. All you'd have to do is carry a switch with you, you know, and swing it. Put them in the next zip code, I guess. Yeah. Well, I know you fellas have just just tons and tons of memories of Mr. Aaron. And uh, uh, you told me, Ricky, I believe it was you uh, before we started recording that he had gotten up to Queen 17 now? Yes, sir. We're okay. Queen 17. Now, what was, do you recall how she's bred? I mean, of course, she's down from the line of Queens, but what right. What was she out of? Mailed she's out of Schooner River, uh, Schooner, which is the dog that me and Mark and, and Mr. Wimp had that we were breeding a lot to this past couple of years, and out of the Queen 16, Jim, that he, he calls her Bama. Bama. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we we really it seems like it's doing good. Skunner's putting a lot of a lot of good early starting pups on the ground for us right now. So well, that's great. That's we great. like him. Mr. Wemp liked him a hmm. lot. Well, there's an endorsement you can yes hang your hat on, can't you? Well, do you did you see? Well, how many years back are we talking for each of you knowing Mr. Wemp? Do you have a uh, an idea? Hey, I, I told you something wrong right there, Steve. I, the the Schooner dog was out. Well, you asked me about Schooner. He's out of Queen 14. Yeah, 14. Yeah, seven, I asked me about 17. Uh, 17, I'm sorry. Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah, she was out of 16 in Schooner. I got you. Well, right. going back all those years that each of you have with the Schooner River dogs, did you see a common thread in all those dogs down through the years? Is there something that you could kind of look at and say, you know, that that's a Schooner River trait in those dogs, or or were they just each individual good dogs? And and I just wondered about that. I think you see a lot of the same traits. From when I came into it, the dogs were always smart, easy to train, and usually really good miles. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All... But the brain is is has been there and got better. I think it's always been there. Right. He worked on that a lot. He wanted them to be smart. 
naturally small. Well, you know, having been around this game a long time, and I, and I was privileged to get to hunt with an awful lot of good dogs down through the years, not just my dogs, but, but other dogs that were are well-known and all. But that intelligence has always been the number one trait. I think if you if you talk to any houndsman that's been at it very long, they're going to tell you the first thing they require in a dog is is that they have those brains, as you call them, and that and that you know all the good dogs that I remember in my experience were smart dogs. You know they either the you know they had a handle on them. My lifetime dog was a plot dog called Bronco and Bronco had what I called coon sense and really any he was a dog that you could just about do anything with I think it was like old yeller hunt him on bear and coon but he just seemed to know which way a track was going and he didn't fool around standing on his head his idea was to get that coon tree you know get up under it and I've seen him in Michigan cornfields a lot of times just go into a cornfield and strike. Well, he wouldn't open his mouth sometimes too. He's all the way on the other side of that cornfield. And you'd hear him open again when he hit the woods and boom, he's tree. You know, he was smart. He knew which way that coon was going, you know. And and that's that's intelligence. And you can see it, as you boys know, in puppies. You can see it from the time they're very young, you know. Some of them, they're just the lights on but nobody's home you know <laughs> but, that's right but uh well mr aaron knew that for sure and i have to guard against the fact that just because i'm old of saying well things were this way or that way back in the day because i know i've had my time at this sport now it's you younger fellas time and uh I just I told somebody recently I'm a cheerleader now. That's what I do. I cheerlead for all you guys out there that are still hunting. I want you to see I want to see you do it for as long as you can. And I still enjoy doing it, but I just do it at a whole lot a slower level than I used to. Um you went to Mr. Aaron's funeral service today, right? Yes. Was that held in Pontotoc or? Yes. Okay. Yes, sir, it was. And uh, at at a church or at a funeral home there? It was held in the chapel at the funeral, Tudor uh, Memorial Funeral Home. I see. Yeah. Well, Ricky, you were telling me earlier that it seemed to be a lot of hunters there. Yes, sir. Yeah. It was a uh-huh. lot. I wish we'd have, I wish we'd have had a number of hunters, you know, overall. Just, yeah. How many people there, just so many hunters. But it, everywhere I looked, you know, I was pretty well looking at somebody that was either a hunter or associated with hunting mm-hmm. in some fashion or had hunted with Mr. Wimp. Even in the community, there's so mm-hmm. many people around Pontotoc that had actually just went hunting with Mr. Wimp just to be able to say, you know, that I hunted with Mr. With Wimp Aaron in my lifetime. Yeah. So, uh, what did you take away from the, the funeral today, Mark? Yeah, it was such such respect for him, you know, had Mm-hmm. People drove. I know there was Mr. Dennis Montgomery from Missouri came. Uh, lots of guys from Alabama, Tennessee. Oh, that's you wonderful. know that were just genuine friends mm-hmm. and drove that far out of respect. I think was about six or eight from my county, and we're three and a half hours 
from here or six or eight people from down my way drove up and that, you know just a lot of respect well that's the perfect word of, you know that fits aaron he mr aaron he he didn't demand it but he commanded respect just the way he carried himself the way he spoke to you the way you know he you know he showed respect to everybody else and i'm sure that just came back you know uh, multiplied to him well i'm very glad to hear that i i would have loved to have been there myself and you know i didn't really know uh wimp on a real personal level you know just mainly through the dogs and kind of professionally you'd say but we just seemed to get along really well when i talked the times that i talked to him and and uh there's an appointment that we all have to make. Uh, nobody gets out of this alive. And our right. pastor at church says this at times, you know, 100% uh, uh, of us in this room, as he would say, are going to die. Uh, and it's so important that we leave a legacy, I think, I mean, we can leave all kinds of legacies. Some are good and some are bad. But he sure left one that's going to be hard for anybody to feel. Uh, what What would you say is, the, you know, you will remember down through the years, Ricky, the thing, one thing you'll remember most about Wimp Aaron? His honesty, his truthfulness. Uh, his ability to talk to people at all levels. He treated everybody with the same respect. Mm -hmm. And his passion for, you know, the dogs, that's something I'll always remember. And his his willingness to take time with kids, to try to get kids engaged in the sport, he really wanted everybody to know what coon hunting was. He told me one time, he said, you know, I want all my kids and grandkids to go coon hunting. And if they never do it again, they they will at least if they're sitting in their house some night and they see a light coming through the woods, they're gonna think, hey, that's maybe that's a coon hunter, you know, yeah. and not be scared of the fact that there's people that coon hunt because it's it's kind of a dying sport. I'm afraid, you know, there's so yeah. many people. Yeah, that, uh, we don't see the recruitment of young folks that we did back when I was a kid. You know, all the kids. Oh yeah, sure. So, well, that uh, he had vision. I, he I had know, vision. Yeah. He really did. He, something that he loved so much, he told me, you know, uh, when I did the article, he said, uh, all I do now is eat, sleep, and coon hunt. He was talking about mm -hmm. and that, and that was his life. Well, when I listened to the, uh, the podcast on uh, Coon Hunting University, Mark, and you were involved in that, talked a lot about, uh, Mr. Aaron's, uh, I don't know if it was his he shed, his den, his play. He, did he have a separate building there at his home or was it part of his home or what, what was that all about? I heard all about all the, the, uh, Tyler Duncan was talking about all the old magazines that he had and all. What, yeah. what about all that? It's we call it the bunkhouse, but it's a you know he had a place for company to spend the night if they came, and uh, you know he's got 
every magazine from the 60s to current. Mm -hmm. American Cooner, Coonhound Bloodlines, Prohound, Bullcry, all of them. They're all organized real well, every issue. Now, and he has a lot of American Cooners from the very first copy. Wow. The well back in the, I don't know, the 40s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, did he have any of the old uh, mountain musics, the green ones that were kind of, they were kind of the forerunner of the American Cooner, I think. Yeah, I know there's some. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now, will yep. that be, is somebody going to continue to keep that those things? Is that is that you guys or somebody in the family? Or That's such a treasure that, you know. Yes. Justin, his grandson, if he left the place to him, he said he's going to keep the shed and all just like it was. Oh, that's and, wonderful. You know, save all that stuff. And it's a lot of history in there, you know. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. I think it was 1947. He killed four coons, hunted all year, caught four coons. And he's got one foot off each four of them coons still in that shed. <laughs> just so much history. In he there. told me he Pictures said he was the only everything. one that had... Uh, it was 1947 coons, four coons. He said a guy came. How far did he come in a wagon to breed a female? It was a long race. I've heard it. <laughs> like 15 yeah. miles because that dog had treed four coons yeah. come to breed a chicken. And when he said in a wagon, that struck another nerve with me. My dad was born in Dixon County, Tennessee, which is just west of Nashville, out on a little 80-acre farm. And my grandfather was had been a railroader, but he was legally blind. He had glaucoma in his eyesight. He could make out shapes, but he really couldn't see to drive. And on Saturday morning, he'd hitch up a team of mules to a wagon and drive eight miles to town and do his business or shopping or whatever he needed to do and drive back. <laughs> and when he talked about that guy bringing the dog in the wagon, you know, to come over there, to, I believe he said to breed to him. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. It's a different world for sure, but man, what history! That is a treasure to me. I, it really is, and well, I'm hoping a, someday there'll be a, a stop on the highway and it says Wimp Aaron Memorial Country Store and whatever. That there'll be some way that his memory will be uh, perpetuated, you know, for down through the years. Do you have a favorite? He definitely go ahead, Mark. He he definitely left the impact on a lot of people. It wasn't just us, yeah. you know, it's lots of people. Well he I don't think Wimp would be happy with us if we had this discussion and didn't talk about his dogs and the dogs that you boys got now and what what you have and what you're doing with them and what your plans are for them and all that. What What's going on with these Schooner River dogs going forward? Well, he left us. Me and Ricky and I have Queen 15, 16, and 17. And he just, you know, lots of talks and left lots of instructions. of He didn't want it to quit there. You know, don't let it in there. Keep it going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he gave his suggestions, but he didn't say, you know, breed this one to that or this one to, you know, he had lots of ideas, but, you know, he left his thoughts. And I know I spent lots of time, Ricky, I'm sure, too, listening to, you know. But it was just the most important part was don't let it die. 
don't let the queen stop here and and be sure to keep the kids involved that, that was it huh. that was it in a nutshell he said just keep it going you know and, and like mark said no specific instructions uh, and i'd try to pick him you know and say well, look what would we need to breed this dog back to in this he, he would never say he, you know it was like y'all know how to do it you'll know how to do it just you know what we want the queens to be you know what they have been you know and keep it going you know he yeah. liked big mouth dogs he liked them to open them on track when they treat he wanted them to stay treed uh then, then they had to be smart that was just and you boys will do that gotta be I, easy starting yeah and i'm easy sure start. you'll do that won't you yes yes sir we can keep it going how was it once he learned that he had cancer how how did he take it <laughs> He, he called me the day that he found out, and he didn't tell me. He just told me to come to his house over the weekend. So, you know, he said, come up. I put aside whatever and come up. And he told me that Friday night after I got there. And, and he, it was I knew it was real serious because we didn't go hunting that Friday night. Mm-hmm. And he told me all what was going on. He said, I just I don't feel like I can hunt tonight. So we just talked most of the night, and he was just tired. Yeah. And he went down quick, you know, and but his mind stayed sharp. Yeah. You know, he lasted about two months, right there around two months, three months. Hmm. His mind was real sharp the whole time. He said, what person could have it better than this at all? I mean, and he had so much company come to visit him them last two months. He said, I got it made, you know, no pain, mm. not suffering. I'm ready to go. I know where I'm going. <laughs> That's awesome. He said, I'm ready for it. And, and, and had all this company, all my friends come yeah. see me. Come what visit. an he attitude. Could, he appreciated nobody, everybody. He said nobody could have had it any better. And at the funeral, that was one of the things he wanted to say. You know, was to thank everybody. Thank everybody that had been part of, the Schooner River legacy, the people that had bought puppies, had bought dogs from him, that had helped him in every way, his friends, his family, everybody stood behind him through the, all the years. He wanted that thank you to get out there to everybody. He, he's over and over, he told me that. He said, you always tell everybody that I appreciate what they did, you know, for me and help me. Well, Wimp, by the means of this podcast, Ricky and Mark and I, we know you're in a better place. We know there's no pain where you are. There's no crying. There's no mourning. There's only joy. And I know if dogs go to heaven, I know there's there's a lot of queens surrounding you up there. I can't say that that's scriptural. I don't know, but I sure hope so. And especially for guys like Wimp Aaron. But he was uh, set the bar really high for all of us. And some of you who've got several years left, like you guys do, I, I just know that he'll just continue to inspire you as you go forward with these dogs. What What's the best dog you got right now in your kennel? Do y'all like the best? Well, I'm partial to <laughs> The last one, the last winner. <laughs> Yeah, I like different stuffs about about each one. I mean, we got several nice dogs right now that okay 
lucky to have several right Did, now. Was there one there that he really kind of really liked that you got right now that's coming on or something? I, I think, you know, the 15, he called her quick. He really liked her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then 16, too, but he called her back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he really liked them. And he really liked Schooner, the young male dog we have. He, he was real yeah. high on him. Yeah. Had high hopes for him. And all those years, he kind of reminds me a little bit of my friend Randy Smith up in, in Pennsylvania that likes to hunt the females, you know, and has rarely run yeah. a stud dog. And I think uh, Wimp told me that Bark and, and uh, Lipper were the only two stud dogs, I think, that he, he maybe that he uh, promoted over the years, was it? Maybe, maybe he had that uh, favorite dog or... Uh, yeah, he had a favorite a long time ago. Sold him to Richard Owens. Yeah. And Richard ran him a long time as Silver Dollar favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he liked those females. Like Are you all the same? Do you rather prefer to hunt females? I would prefer to hunt them myself. Yeah. Yeah, we, we kind of like the females. I like a good one, but. You know, I like a good male dog, but I, I like hunting them females. Yeah. Well, they're just kind of easier, aren't they? They's, usually they're easier trained. They usually start earlier, I think, or my, my experience has been with them. Maybe a whole lot less aggravation at times, except that coming in heat, you know. Wimp always said that male dog's always in heat. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, fellas, I sure appreciate your time today, and we've been at it about 45 minutes here. It seems like that's gotten away awfully quick. Awful quick. Was there anything that you thought maybe I'd ask you or something that's on your mind or on your heart that you'd like to say before we we uh, shut this thing down? Uh, we just lost a legend. I mean, that's... That's about all I can say. He was kind of larger than life to me in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, that's, he was my hunting partner. He's the only person I really ever hunted with my whole life. So he was my hunting buddy, you know, day in, day out, week after week, you know, up till October, I think, was the last hunting trip. October, no, that was November, I guess, the last hunting trip we made. Yeah. Well, he mentioned hunting the Delta National Forest. Uh, during hunting season or so. How far is that away from y'all or from from where he lived? Three, three and a half hours. Is it? Right. Yeah. 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 It's three hours from my house and three hours from his house. I see. To the Delta. Well, listen, I, these questions keep coming, and I don't want to keep you guys all night, but did he have a favorite hunting spot that he liked to go more than anywhere else? Uh, he had, you know, spots that he, that he hunted regularly that he wouldn't kill the coons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, during kill season, he liked to get away from them spots and, yeah. and hunt. So I don't, I, I don't ever know of just a favorite spot. Do you, Ricky? I know. When he, when he was hunting puppies, he always liked to hunt what he called the old home place. And it was where he grew up at. And, uh, oh. he had protected coons. Don't know that he had ever killed a coon in there that that had lived in those woods. Mm-hmm. And we were talking today, me and some of the other hunters there was talking about how many generations of coons 
that, that live in that room. So he had he had a feeder there where he kept started pups, and then right down the road from that, he had a place called the snake feeder, and then he had a place called the bottom feeder, and that was where he did his puppy starting in the spring. And that he'd always tell you that was his favorite time. He liked the spring getting the pups out there and seeing them come along, getting them to the bean field races and that kind of stuff. He really enjoyed that. Yeah. He really liked starting pups. That's right. He loves yeah. it. He, he loved it. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. I, I really always enjoyed that, too. A lot of guys say, oh, I don't have time to fool with a pup. I don't want to fool with a crazy <laughs> pup. But it's fun to me just watching them develop, you know, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Steve, you, you talk about them funny stories. Yeah. He protected them coons around his home place there. But one time, my, my oldest son was probably 11 or 12, and we was up there, and he was itching to shoot a coon. <laughs> Mr. Wimp told him, said, there's a litter of kittens over here. said, if a dog's tree one over there, I'm going to let you shoot it out. So we go over there and sure enough tree a coon and go in there and get ready and leave our props up and we'll shoot the coon. He shot one shot. The coon fell out and the dogs were fighting it. And it went on there till they about the fight's about over and another coon fell out of that tree. Oh, hit two right. with one shot. Huh? <laughs> told him, said, two with one shot, Mr. Wimp said, you go put that gun up. You're not shooting no more of my coons. <laughs> You're too good. Got two boy. in one shot. <laughs> How about he, that? Every time he would see Levi from then on, he'd, he'd asked him about shooting them two coons with one shot. <laughs> Oh, he really loved kids, didn't he? He really loved He loved the kids. He really enjoyed the kids being around. Yeah, his highlight of the year was our youth hunt we had in September. He, that was his highlight. He loved that. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, as we get older, you do appreciate the young people so much more. And, you know, as we're, as a younger man, I was going through life, you know, fight like us fighting fire. But you slow down. Age makes you slow down. But then you start thinking more, you know, and you think about what's important. And uh, to have young people to hunt with is a real blessing. I have a couple of partners in my dogs now. One of them is no kid. He's in his 50s, like about Mark's age. and His name is Mark. And then I have a, a younger man, 29, up in Virginia, and he and I have a dog together. And without those guys, I really probably would just quit. I mean, I don't – coon hunting's not good down here in Florida where I am. It's really hard to find a, a decent place to hunt. I say I'd quit. I don't think I could quit. I, I worked all those years, and here I am still doing this podcasting thing, and sometimes I wonder why I even do that. But I know why. I know the answer is because I get to meet and talk to guys like you and remember, you know, the stories and all the things that go along with it. Coon hunting's been good to me. It's been my life. It was actually a livelihood for me, and not many people can say that. And I'm very thankful for that. But And I know you boys enjoy it, too. And I hope that you can enjoy it for many, many years to come. Thanks, uh, sir. 90 years will get here before you know it, if you live to be as old as, as Mr. Aaron. And my dad told me, when you get to be 50, Steve, those years are going to fly. So, uh, and I <laughs> can attest true. to that. They do pick up. 
<laughs> well, fellas, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate so much you coming. I think it's fitting that we recorded this on the day of, of Winston Aaron's funeral and to hold his memory in our hearts. We'll do that forever. And I know you boys much more than me because you knew him so much more intimately than I did. But uh, he was a great man. I don't know what else we could say about him. But if you have anything else to say, let's do it now. And then we'll we'll push this button and, and send this out. I, I, I just want to say I appreciate you, Steve. You know, the articles and the podcast, that kind of stuff. Wimp really enjoyed that. That was a true, uh, you know, them bad rainy nights or something. He'd sit there and, and he would read your articles and he'd tell me, you know, Steve wrote about this red bone or wrote about this. He he didn't read them because it was a walker dog. He mm. he enjoyed the articles yeah. and, that, and that meant a lot. That's you know? such a blessing to me. Mark. I can attest to that too. I've seen him just sit and read them for, you know. Mm. On the bad nights, we oh, I just love to be down there on those old bad rainy nights and sit there with him and talk, man. Alive, we probably never get to sleep. <laughs> oh, he might go back and get the 1978 books and go through the whole year and you know sit there all night because he went to bed at four o'clock in the morning. So if it was bad, he stayed up and read or whatever till that four o'clock in the morning. He didn't go to bed because you know because it was. Wasn't able to coon out there. Well, I guess he's he a, had little, that same routine. Yeah, a little bit like Frank Giddings up there in Michigan hunted every night. And uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, with working and all down through the years, I was never uh, fortunate enough to do that. But I do enjoy when we go to the White River and we get to just hunt as long as we want. We come in a lot earlier than we'd like to admit most nights. But uh, and he had been retired for thirty five years. Oh, you know, he got a lot of God. God was yeah. good to him, and he yeah. and he recognized That's exactly it, right. didn't he? He did. He did. He really did. Well, okay, friends, yeah. that's going to conclude our tribute to one of the greatest coon hunters that our sport's ever known. His memory will never pass away because everybody that met Wimp Aaron was left with a tremendous impression of a good man, an honest man, as Ricky said, a man that loved hounds, he loved people, he loved the youth. He loved this sport, and he wanted to see it go forward. And in his honor, that's what we're going to do. Thank you, fellas. I really appreciate you coming on with me. Yes, I yes, hope that, uh, that in the days to come, I know you're going to miss your friend very much, but our prayers will be with you and with his family. And uh, well, I hope to see you all. I'll be in the state of Mississippi here in not too many days, about a couple of weeks for the UKC Winter Classic. I hope to see you there. And there. Uh, okay, yes, that, that's great. Well, folks, that's gonna wrap it up for Gone to the Dogs for this week. If anybody asks you where Steve Fielder, tell them, well, that old coon hunter, I don't know where he is, but he's gone to the dogs. I know that much. <laughs>